Darwin, Hidden Valley, the land of crocodiles and big game fishing is the next destination on the Supercars 2020 COVID World Order Tour. And guess what? It's a double header. We race this weekend and then the next, with the only change being what tyres are available. Fourteen corners and one of the longest straights in the game challenged the drivers with numerous overtaking spots for the brave. The tyre strategy this week's a little more simple because the low deg nature of the track means even the softs will last all race. Will we see the racing mixed up like it was in the two Sydney Motorsport Park weekends? That is what we're here to discuss. This is Supercars in Preview. Well, welcome listeners. My name's Neville Wilkinson and I'm joined by Andrew Clark. How are you going, Clarky? Hey, Neville, pretty good. It's, uh, yeah, it's exciting. We're coming up for a series. What have we got? About four races in five or six weeks. So um, it's a good time to be a supercar fan, I think. Well, yes, considering I'm, I'm from Victoria. So at the moment I'm in lockdown. So everything that's happening outside there is all good for me. Yeah, no, it is good. It's kind of a bit jealous, I think. The back-to-back rounds in Darwin, I'd love to be up there to spend that week between the races, having a bit of fun. And then most likely, I don't think they've announced it yet, but most likely the same thing at Townsville a couple of weeks later. So, uh, you know, go out and do the Barrier Reef, all the, all the fun things. Like, we seem to forget, like, one of the reasons why the Northern Territory government got behind this car race in Darwin was because of what it could do to the concept of where Darwin is and the tourism factor. And I just remember the first time I went there as a city, it just blew me away. I had so much fun. Um, well, I loved it and I love going back there. I love the track. The, the, it's, it's a fun lifestyle up there. It's a bit expensive, but not too bad otherwise. Well, I haven't had the pleasure of going up and seeing even the Darwin round. I remember when I ran the magazine, I used to send all you journos and photographers up there. I used to stay home. So it's the only round I actually yeah. haven't seen. Thanks for that, Nev. <laughs> but all I want to do is just get some warmth. <laughs> I don't care if this racing. I just want some warmth. I know. Given, given, what, a, given what, a, what a warm freak you are, I would have thought you would have made sure you got to that one. And, uh, <laughs> I couldn't. One of the cold ones, you know. But, uh, I remember once I got on the plane up there and it was 32 or 33 degrees and I got off the plane in Melbourne and it was three degrees. Oh, no. Okay. Moving on, let's get into some news, though it is changing daily with all the stuff going on. I suppose the latest news is we all thought we weren't going to make it to Darwin with uh, Brisbane City being in lockdown and several teams actually in that area, but it looks like it's going to go ahead, thank God. So we're back on track and we look forward to Darwin. But the big story is Dave Reynolds is going to be a dad. Well, yeah, whether it's big news or not, I'm not sure. But, um, yeah, it's certainly going to happen. Big for him. Big for him. Yeah, big for him. And it'll change his life, no doubt. But I hear there were tears and all sorts of things when he found out and tried to work it out. I don't know whether it was tears of joy or tears of fear or tears of change. But, uh, yeah, so it's interesting. He's at that age, I suppose, and he's tied in his long-term contract. He's tied in his long-term partner and... So why not get a baby and see what happens? <laughs> getting all getting all life bits in place. <laughs> well, yeah, it opens up all those concepts, you know. Like it was always a theory that once they had a baby, once they had children, drivers always slowed down. But I think we've seen enough in the last few years to know that that's not quite the case. So uh, <laughs> it'll be interesting and uh, it'll certainly change his life. I mean, obviously, yeah, he won't have Tian with him at, at the tracks as much and all those sort of things. So you don't have anybody to pamper you and pat you on the head when you've had a bad day and, you know, rest your shoulder in. So... 
Yeah, that'll be the biggest change for him, I think. I, I think they'll figure a way. The other news is uh, Will Davison with Tickford Racing. We feel that they're just about to announce their driver pairings. The only one that we know that's really locked in is Brock Feeney with James Courtney. Yeah, where do we feel that Will might end up? I think the logical spot for Will is that he's going to end up with Cam Waters. I mean, the chances of Alex Premer making it to Bathurst this year with all the travel restrictions are, are almost zero. I mean, he's stuck in the USA at the moment. I can't see any way he's going to get to Australia. There's been no formal announcement, but I think everybody's kind of got it worked out that you know, that he's not coming. And the beauty was when 23 Red closed down and Will Davison became an option for co-driving, it's like, hey, let's just do a straight swap and put him in there. And that makes that Cam Waters, Will Davis, I think that's a really powerful driver lineup. So you reckon that's the smart thing to do is put him with Cam, put Will with yeah, Cam? Yeah, I would think so. I can't see it panning out any other way at the moment. What have we got? James James Moffat's going to be with Jack LeBrock. That well, was announced right. yeah, ages ago. So unless they're going to make changes, you know, so Caruso again with Lee Holdsworth, they're at the same height, so it works out all right. You know, so I think unless they plan to make any changes, I can't see that happening. Cam is... You know, possibly the leader of the the team leader on the track. I think so. It makes sense to give him the best co-driver possible. And and you can argue in the past that he hasn't really had the co-driver to match his ability up there as well. So I think it's a great thing. I think that you know Cam and Will will be real contenders up there, serious contenders. Cool. So they really have they haven't locked them in. The word is that these are the guys who are going to be paired, but they haven't actually officially announced them yet. No, exactly. And um, and there's complexities around that. I mean, um, Will Davison's father-in-law died recently in Perth. So they've been out of action because of that. They went to get over for the funeral and all those sort of things and with all of the travel restrictions and quarantines and all that sort of stuff. You know, the way the world is today, you know, as we talk about it, the COVID world order, it's a very different place. And, um, you know, that's putting all sorts of complexities in and around it. You know, Will's um, a great pickup, I think, and doing commentary this weekend as well at, um, at Darwin. So I think, you know, we're seeing him in a bit more action. And who knows, maybe we should recruit him for this, uh, for the review podcast. Well, the thing is, he would be one of the top choices in co-driver land at the moment. I mean, he's so, he's, he's been racing full time up there and it's only because of the COVID that he lost his drive. I mean, he'd be nuts not to use it. No, absolutely. And well, he was fourth in the fourth or fifth in the championship for that first round of Clipsal. But it's going to be a bit like last year. Remember last year we went into Bathurst and it was all the unknown because there wasn't an endurance race leading into there. So the co-drivers were all a bit uneasy. And the theory was that those who had just stepped out of the car the year before were going to be the gun co-drivers. So your Garth Tander types were the things that people were looking for to be quite spectacular up there, you know, Tander and Lowndes in particular. So this now gives Tickford the same scenario. Now they've got a bloke who's just stepped out of a car and fortunately for them, it's one of their cars, so there's no adjustment phase. There's no nothing for him to learn that he doesn't already know. And, and I think it's just a, it's a no-brainer to me that, that he's going to go there. Um, there's just no official announcements in and around it at the moment. Well, we wait with uh, bated breath. But moving on, no Queensland Raceway in this uh, current little tour that the supercars are doing, and, and obviously the bend is, um, is off as well in South Australia. I'm surprised they didn't do Queensland Raceway at some stage, put in, get in a couple of races there, get a few more rounds under their belt. Uh, the bend, it looks like for them, kind of they had a bit of a dummy spit that hasn't quite worked. I think Queensland Raceway did the same thing. You know, they, they want to make demands about what they want and what they expect, and supercars has never taken kindly to that. 
So what did uh, Queensland Raceway, what do you think they were asking for? Oh, look, they've always been rabbiting on about, you know, how they are so important and why they deserve to do it and get paid this much money to host a round and all that sort of stuff. And, you know, supercars just couldn't be bothered. They've never upgraded their crowd facilities, but at the moment that doesn't matter so much. As even if they did hold a round, they might only get four or 5,000, be allowed to have that many through the gate. So it's actually a perfect opportunity to do Queensland Raceway. But as I say, you know, you, you have arguments with people and um, you burn your bridges and that sticks with you. The Bend Motorsport Park, they had a dummy spit because they weren't going to be allowed to run a 500. So now they're running nothing. But when you look at it on paper, you know, the Bend is a logical place. They've got three different track layouts. They've got their own hotel. So everybody can be there. They can fit everybody from every team that's at the track in the hotel. We can run three different weekends on three different tracks if we want to. So it's a perfect thing. It's just a pity about the argument that went on. And, uh, you know, it'd be nice if they solved it because there is a risk to Sandown at the moment. Who knows what's going to happen in Victoria with the way the numbers are going. So Sandown could be off. So we might end up with nothing in September unless the bend can come back into it. Well, 2020 hasn't finished yet, so anything could happen still. No, we may still well, we do know that, don't we? <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, some of the biggest news coming out is the TV deal. That's getting very close. There's a lot of murmurings about that with the supercars and obviously the talk of seven because Thames basically dropped them. Yeah, and it's going to have a big impact on the dollars that are available as well because you normally need two TV networks that want the series to push the price up. So with 10 pulling out and Channel 9 has shown no interest at all, so it really is Channel 7 now. So uh, it does affect the end price. But as we know, the main product is Foxtel anyway. You know, it's um, it's what Foxtel is willing to pay in this environment that will have an impact. And uh, who knows? I mean, it's just so hard to work it out. I wouldn't want to be doing a TV deal at the moment with anybody. <laughs> well, uh, we know Foxtel has got to show everything. Channel 7, what do you think? they're going to be showing what's going to be available for the fans on 7. I think that'll be very similar to what we get out of Channel 10. You know, there'll be three or four big rounds that are shown. I mean, Bathurst has to be shown on free-to-air TV by law. So we know that's always going to happen. Um, That's on the anti-siphoning legislation. And it is the only race in the supercars calendar that is is covered by that. Clipsal 500 obviously will get a run on free-to-air TV. And my personal belief is that should be on the anti-siphoning laws as well. I think it's that significant a race while it still exists, because there's rumours about whether it's what its future is as well. So, you know, we can sit here and say all these things, how important it is, but apparently the South Australian government doesn't agree with us. Um, <laughs> but I think you'll find those things. And, and if we skip to what was going to be the next point and roll this into the same thing, like 2021, they're saying is going to have a very similar calendar to what they planned for 2020. So it means that the big races are coming back. You know, we're going to have Newcastle back, obviously. We're going to have the, Queen, the Gold Coast race back. And they're the races that Channel 7 will want to be covering. Well, I mean, I heard even talk that they were going to show every round, but they're just going to show one race out of every round. I even thought they were thinking of that kind of scenario. Yeah, it, where, where it ends up on those scales is always awkward because, as we know, Channel 7 covers the AFL, um, and a lot of the car racing is done during the AFL season, but they only run four games a weekend on free-to-air TV. On, so it means that you know the concepts of the past where they would have had nine rounds to fit into their TV and it was going to impact on the car racing, that doesn't exist anymore. So I think they'll be looking forward to kind of building a sporting weekend, and that's where supercars can come into it to give them a sporting weekend without them spending billions of dollars to have 
you know, moving things on screens. So it kind of works well if they could do it. And it's up to supercars, I suppose, to, to make it work and to get that package together that Channel 7 wants to get us to the most people as possible. Because, you know, there are two ways you generate income in motorsport. One is by how much money the TV stations pay you. The second part is how much the sponsors will pay because there are eyeballs on TV sets. And Channel 7 will achieve a lot more of that than Foxtel alone. Just recapping back, you're talking Sandown's at risk. You mentioned that earlier on. Uh, Townsville back-to-back and Sandown at risk. What is the latest with the calendar that you know of? <laughs> that I know of? Uh, <laughs> I'd bet my bottom dollar that we, we will have two Townsville races. They won't be the way they were, so we're not going to have the two big races, one on Saturday, one on Sunday. They will be going to a three-race format like everywhere else at the moment. They will be doing back-to-back round weekends, and then they'll be fiddle around with the tyre combinations the same way that they've done for Sydney Motorsport Park and for Darwin. So that will be the way they vary the race weekends is by, by varying the tyre compounds that are available to them. That will absolutely happen. As I said before, Sandown... Who knows what's going to happen in Victoria? I mean, the, the status of things down here is just shocking. Daily, the numbers are going up. So unless we start to see them drop down soon, I mean, what are we? We're coming to the end of July, moving into August. We're only six weeks away from the Sandown race weekend. They're going to have to make a decision really soon on what happens there. Sandown's uh, slated to be after Townsville, correct? Yeah, mid-September. So back to what would have been its traditional slot as a lead into Bathurst. So you you really do hope that we've got it under control, obviously, the virus. Yeah, you've got to plan a little bit ahead for those sort of things. Yeah, not that you're letting crowd in necessarily, but, you know, you need to know that you've got everything planned, all the TV crews and everybody to work the way through it. So let's let's hope. I mean, Sandown, I love Sandown. I mean, it's only five minutes from my front door, so it's perfect. But, you know, it's a, it's a great, iconic, classic racetrack. And, uh, you know, I'd love to be, I'd love the supercars to be back there. But, you know, I'm not feeling confident about that at the moment. Let's hope that happens. Personally, I can't see it happening with the way Victoria is at the moment. I think there'll be too many hoops to jump through. I just, I just think it'll be, be a bit too hard. But yeah. I don't know if you're the voice of doom and gloom, and I would love to see it happen. No, no, let's be upbeat and hope that it all happens. But, um, you know, we do have to be realists, and, and there is a certain amount of time that they've got to pull the pin on it. I'd be expecting an announcement on what happens with Sandown somewhere between the two Darwin rounds. And that means that it won't happen, I would have thought. Um, But, you know, let's say, let's wait and see. Okay, let's start talking about the track itself in general, the event. What do we expect to see different at Hidden Valley than Eastern Creek, so to speak? Well, we're still running the split tyre compounds. We've got two hards and three soft sets of tyres for the weekend. So expect to see... The hard tyres used on Saturday because you've got to get through two qualifyings and a shootout if you're going to going to win pole, and you're not going to do that and use up all of your soft tyres because the rule change they've made this time is that on Saturday you can't change tyre compounds during qualifying. So if you start on hards, you finish on hards. So you should be able to get through if you're hang fast on, enough. Hang on, hang on. Is, I thought they all had to qualify on their hards for Saturday. They had no choice. Uh, not the way I read it. Okay. You won't do it. You won't do softs on Saturday because you will burn up all of your soft sets <laughs> yes. in, in that one session. So you'll do the hards, you know, so you'll run because you can do hard, hard. You know, if you're fast enough, you'll get through the first section of qualifying on, on a set. Then you can probably run the next set as well to get into the shootout. And then you've got a green set of hard tyres for the shootout. So that's what the quick guys will be trying for. That's certainly the way McLaughlin will try it, for instance. You know, that he'll, he'll try to just plot his way through early without damaging things and then then blast out later on in the session to see if he can score another pole because, you know, he doesn't score enough of those. Well, you said 
they're not going to wear tyres as much at uh, Hidden Valley because it's, it's just, it doesn't have the degradation that Sydney Motorsport Park. So we understand the layout's different. You're saying the tyre deg's different. What else is there going to be different? Is, or is that all we need to look at is less tyre degradation? What does that mean? Well, there's certainly less tyre deg. You won't see as much of a drop-off. So I think we saw Lowndes quite a few years ago run almost an entire race on a set of soft tyres. And people were gobsmacked. They sat there and wondered how he did it. And then they worked out that they could all do it too. So they, the next time around, they all did. So we know the soft tyre will last. The track surface is fairly kind and gentle to the tyres. It doesn't have those super high load corners like the turn one at Eastern Creek where the car just leans in and runs, you know, for, for probably five seconds on full load, leaning on the outside tyres and punishing them. Um, and that's where the damage comes to the tyres. So Darwin doesn't have any of those, those long-loaded corners. It's got lots of short changes, you know, that combination from turn two to turn five. You know, the car dices around and it's always on edge and balancing, but it's not overly loading a particular side of the car or a particular tyre. So it doesn't wear the tyres all that much. So if you're gentle, you know, as I say, you'll get through the qualifying session with the two hards and no dramas at all. So, but even though there's no significant tyre deg, once you've knocked the greenness off the tyres, you know, you've knocked a tenth or two tenths off it, and that's enough difference between pole and probably 15th on the grid half the time, you know. Little, little, little gaps mean a lot on a track that's short like this. So it's a short lap, so the time, getting it right counts? Absolutely. I mean, it's important to get it right in qualifying anyway, but... You know, it's a short track. Um, you come out of the pits and, you know, you're seeing coming out of there and the cars are going past you at 250 kilometres yes. per hour. So the speed difference is staggering. You know, you see them tootling off and you think, oh, yeah, he'll be right. And the next thing you know, the car's gone past them. Um, that's for the race, obviously. The key's going to be to find clean air in qualifying. So you're going to want to do your, your hot lap near, near the chicken flag, clearly. But you also need clean air because you need to have your aero working right for all of those flip-flops and the parts where the car's changing direction. So you're going to need to find clean air. And so you'll find a lot of people foxing around looking for that gap. You know, they will probably want to be three, four, five seconds behind the car in front to not have any aero wash affecting them. That's a long way back. But hey, okay. You talked about some of the strategies and thinking about how you're going to do your laps and, and racing out there. I mean, Red Bull brings to mind because... They did a tactic at SMP2 that didn't quite work. They went for the consistency battle over race wins and it didn't quite work out for them. What are some of the strategies you reckon they'll try at Sydney Valley? It's interesting. I mean, Red Bull Racing looked a bit lacklustre at Sydney, didn't they? You expect to turn that speed they had in qualifying into significant race results, but they didn't. They did collect points, you know, so in terms of championship harm, they didn't really suffer too badly but they weren't competing for race wins and, and that's very unusual for that team. So I think that stung them a little bit. In terms of strategy here, I mean, because we're, we're not going to see high deg, the two-tyre pit stop is going to be significant. So you might see more people doing the two-tyre two, two tire stops than the four-tyre stops. Just, just to save um, time? Yeah, just to save time because, as we know, with the two rattle guns only, it's, um, you know, you're talking four seconds to eight seconds is the difference. So, you know, do you want the track position or do you want the grip and chase them down and try to pass them afterwards? Here it's okay because you can actually pass at Darwin. Now, there's quite a few spots where you can do it. You can do it at the end of the main straight. You can do it going into the valley. You can do it in the valley. And you can do it coming out of the valley. And then you can do it coming onto the main straight. So we don't normally have a track that gives so many good overtaking spots. So if you get the car balanced right, if you get it all working beautifully, you've got a lot of options to, to make up space. 
So if your car was like that, you might do the four tyres, give up track position in the knowledge that you can get it back and get past. Well, this is the thing. What is the difference between uh, the hard tyre and the soft tyre? And I'll qualify this. You're saying you can look after the tyres and very limited tyre degradation, right? So if someone's yep. looking after their hards and someone's kind of looking after their sauce, what's the difference? Is the guy still on the sauce is still going to be able to get past the guy on the hards or is the guy on the hards going to have a chance to fend him off? I think in the early patch of soft tyres, then they'll, they'll have a significant advantage. It could be like, you know, maybe six, seven tenths a lap. As I say, when we're talking a one minute and six second lap, I think 6.7 is the lap record. So, you know, somewhere around there, you know, that makes a big difference. But I think you'll see that they'll plateau, you know, they'll, they'll drop off a little bit and then they'll just sit there as will the hards. The hards clearly will have no trouble lasting the distance. Like you, the hard tyre, you just go out there and you can drive like a maniac. <laughs> um, the softs, you're still going to have to be a little gentle, especially, you know, coming out of the hairpin. You don't want to light up the rears and, and that's where you're going to have to be a little more careful. But that said, you know, you're going to have that grip. So think about what do we turn two, three, four and into five. You know, you're changing direction probably three or four times and then you're going to hit the brakes while the car's still loaded from one of the corners. So that's where you'll get a real advantage by having a bit of extra grip. And if you don't get them in that corner, you'll get them in the hairpin because you'll have, you'll have worried the hell out of them while you're on their tail and you'll be able to pull up alongside them. So you know, grip will make a big difference, but I think the grip, significant grip will only be like for about 10 laps. And we're talking, what are we, 30-odd 30, 30 lap races? 30, yeah, so 30, it'll be 30, there, but it laps. won't last forever. Moving things along, Tickford Racing... City Motorsport Park's not their favourite track. They're expecting better things from this track, from Hidden Valley. Yeah, and if that's the case, it's possibly a bit scary given that Jack LeBrock won there. So, <laughs> um, and, and each weekend, like in each of those two Sydney weekends, we, they were competitive across the board. Lee Holdsworth was was bloody good in two out of the six races. You know, um, Cam Waters was really good the first weekend, not so hot the next weekend. James Courtney, we've seen getting to grips with the Mustang and the new team. So, you know, I think if, the, if they're going to be stronger and better than they were at Sydney Motorsport Park, then it's great because then we've got a three-way battle in all seriousness. We've got Shell, we've got Red Bull, and we've got Tickford all in the game. Plus, as we know, we can also throw Nick Perkett and Todd Hazelwood in as well. And then who knows what's going to happen with Erebus, you know? So we're going to have Reynolds and Di Pasquale. So we're going to have a top 10 that can win, any, any one of them can win the race. And that's ignoring the rest of the field, you know? So where, where's your frosty... And, and Scott Pye combination going to be and all of those guys. It's so, yeah, I think it's a cracking weekend we're looking forward to. It's, it's going to be on for young and old. Well, it's definitely another unknown. It's like the first time we went to SMP this year. We were just totally unknown and blown away. Hopefully, this is going to bring up the same mix as SMP did. Yeah, and it'll do it in a different way, you know. So, Sydney Motorsport Park was all because about the tyres wearing out. Here, it's actually just going to be racing. You know, so if, we, if you're a purist and you want racing not affected by tyres and all those sort of things, this is the place to get it. So, you know, we'll see. Um, the scary thing might be that you know, Scott McLaughlin's won the last three rounds up there. So it's a bit scary to think that, you know, a guy who's in such great form also has great form at that track. We'll you know, see. it really is a game, a battle of who is going to knock off Scott. Yeah, that's what it seems to have come down to. Well, we'll get more to the track because coming up we've got Jack LeBrock and he's going to give us a bit of a rundown on how he's going to attack this circuit. I'll start getting into a bit of the formats now. Formats for this round, well, 
as, as a default, it's pretty much is the same as the last two rounds at SMP. Uh, three races at 38 laps a race. Correct me if I'm wrong, Kaiki, and I think it's 109 kilometres per race. Come to think, I think that's a little bit shorter than the SMP uh, length, or so I wasn't quite sure. Yeah, it is a bit shorter, but not significantly. I mean, the goal is that they want to have these races short enough to not have to do fuel. Particularly, let's say the Victorian teams didn't leave Melbourne with their fuel rigs for a start, um, but also they're trying to limit the numbers. So you won't see any fuel stops in any of these sprint races, and that's why the race distance is what it is. Okay. The tyres for this round, um, even though we've been talking about it, three sets of hards and two sets of softs, and you, as you're saying, you have to use that one compound that you choose for qualifying. I, I thought that, that they had to go on their hards. They didn't have a choice. This is for Saturday. They can choose any com- compound for qualifying on Sunday. Is that correct? And they've got two qualifying sessions on Sunday for each race. Yeah, so exactly the same format as, as Sydney Motorsport Park with the only proviso that you can't change tyre compounds during a qualifying session. And most likely that's going to be hard for qualifying. So it could, everybody's going to be on the for same... Saturday, yeah. Yeah, everybody's going to be on the same compound. That's good. Everybody's going to get a true indication. Yeah, you won't see as much of the, the artificiality of what we saw at Sydney Motorsport Park of not knowing who was on the, you know, the soft tyres and who was on the hards and who was doing what, who was wearing old tyres... That sort of stuff. So I think it would be a bit more consistent than that. So as I say, it really comes back to you know to the racing. Okay, the Bet Easy Darwin Triple Crown, August eighth and 9th. The schedule is, and this is Darwin times or Northern Territory times, by the way. The first session is at ten past ten on Saturday. That's the rookie only practice. How many people are going to be in that one? You reckon? I think they got five or six in the rookie session. Right. I mean, cool. You know, so yeah, just a bit of free practice for some of the young guys. And if you're on the East Coast, just add half an hour to these times. Um, so I assume that the telecast for Foxtel is going to start at 10 or 10.30. But uh, back to uh, 10.50 is uh, the first practice. Yep. Um, and then the second practice is on at 11.50. So the 30-minute practice sessions each. Yep, with uh, a 30-minute break, which is a key one because 30 minutes is not long to do a lot of changes. So... Uh, Especially, and, and as you know, Darwin's bloody hot. So you're in those pits and it's hot. So it's hard work. And, uh, and, it's good. And then from practice, we go into the qualifying. Yep, we got a 45-minute break from practice two to qualifying. And again, we've got the full field doing the first part of qualifying. Then we drop four of them off, drop down to 20. And that second session starts at 120. So these only go for 10 minutes, these sessions, so you can't get it wrong. And then we drop down to a top 15 shootout, which starts at 1.40. And um, we'll probably run for anywhere about half an hour, really, by the time they do it all. And uh, top 15 shootout at Darwin, yeah, it could be interesting. Could yeah, be boring, well, there's some, people, yeah, there's some people going, oh, I don't know about this top 15 shootout. I always felt that 15 was a bit too much. 10, 10 was the right amount. I remember one year they did a shootout for the whole field, not at Darwin. I think there was at uh, Sydney Motorsport Park, and it was, whoa. Well, they did it all the rounds one year. They had to, It was a full field shootout. It was ridiculous. It's crazy. Um, the difference, what it means is that if you if you look after your tyres, so you're thinking if you're smart and you do what Scott McLaughlin did at Sydney Motorsport Park, you say, I've only got to be in the top 15, so I don't have to work my tyres too hard to get there if I've got a good car. So you do that, and then you come out in the shootout with a great set of tyres and go from 13th qualifying to, to pole. 
So that's what the goal is. The goal here is to make sure that your car is well enough set up in those first two sessions that you're confident of getting through to the shootout without using both sets of hards. So if you've got a green set of tyres when, when we do the single lap flyers. Cool. And then at 3.30, the race 13, 38 laps, it's a start time for it. goes for what? It starts at 3.30 and it finishes at 4.17. Yes, <laughs> I know, it's great, isn't it? Very precise. Um, Darwin's not normally a good place for lots of um, safety cars, so the chances are they'll go all the way through. The biggest risk at Darwin is a, is a big first lap shunt. You know, there's a lot of cars trying to funnel into that first corner, and we've seen some huge crashes on the first lap. I remember Lee Holdsworth slamming into the wall and um, causing himself a lot of bodily harm. So you can see some damage, but the biggest risk is actually the exhaust setting fire to the grass. Um, <laughs> yes. They're going to send a fire truck out to put the, to put the fire out. Oh, dear. Well, that brings us to Sunday, and everything in supercar land starts at 11.40 with the qualifying for race 14. That goes for 10 minutes, and then a five-minute break, and then the qualifying for race 15. Again, it goes for 10 minutes. And then about an hour and 15 minutes after that, they uh, get into the first race, race 14 for 38 laps, goes to, from 120 to 207. And then what isn't it? <laughs> a, bit of a, a bit of a break, nearly an hour and a half or an hour and 20 minutes. And at 3.30 is the uh, race 15 again, another 38 laps. And that goes to 4.17 again. Which is good because that, what that means is that's um, 4.47 on the East Coast, that's them shutting down for a five o'clock finish on Foxtel. So they'll be time certain finishes. <laughs> well, we've just gone through the schedule for the weekend. Remind us who was on the podium last year. Yeah, well, let's start with the one clear thing, which is that Scott McLaughlin technically is the first person to ever win the Triple Crown. So he won the shootout and he won both races. So no one has ever clean sweeped a weekend in Darwin before, which is interesting in itself, given that it's been running now for 22 years. So this is the 22nd time they've gone there, or 23rd maybe. My maths has never been good. Yeah, so they've been going that long and no one's ever won the Triple Crown. The Triple Crown this year is going to be the three races, though. It's not going to be shootout and... I think it'll be the three races. So um, to win the Triple Crown is going to be really significant. So last year we saw Scotty McLaughlin winning the first race from Chas Mostert and Dave Reynolds, uh, and that was a 42-lapper. So fairly similar to what we're going to see over the course of the weekend. Um, Cam Waters was pretty good in the Mustang down in fourth spot as well. So they were all, you know, know, I mean, Scotty McLaughlin was seven seconds out in front, but the rest of them were, were jam-packed with from Chas Moster to Jamie Winkup in fifth. There was only a second and a half. I, th- I think that you call that racing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so really tightly packed. But a big weekend, you know, to say, and a, and a bit mixed up, as you saw. When we get to the next one, which was the long race, Scotty McLaughlin still won, even this time, by 14 seconds. So double, you know, not quite double the race length, but double the win. Um, and it was Dave Reynolds this time in second from Fabian Coulthard. And again, Cam Waters in fourth with Jamie Winkup just behind him. So tight field again, you know, what are we looking at? It's um, second and third was only a second apart. Then you drop another six seconds and then you got like a bunch of cars within three seconds of each other. So they were in little clumps, which was interesting, which probably tells you, and this is what you you get out of that when you see that, (laughs) is that when you've got a big gap, so 14 seconds from McLaughlin to Reynolds, then one second to Coulthard, the chances are that Coulthard actually wanted to get past Reynolds but couldn't. Then you go back to the next one and you've got, you know, the Monster Energy car 
you know, another six seconds back. And then you got, you know, wind cups less than a second behind him. And then you got Mostert, who's less than half a second behind him. And then you got, you know, Holdsworth, who's another half second back. And then, you know, so you got all tightly bunched things. So anything's possible in those, especially at this track, because there are spots here where the fastest line really exposes you to an overtake. Um, so coming onto the main straight, for instance, the fastest line is a really wide one to get you out there. Somebody will dive up the inside. So when you're protecting yourself, you're going to cut time. You're going to lose time on the track to save that position. Um, and that's one of the great things about this track. It just opens up chances and possibilities. Okay, so I'm going to put you on the spot, Clarkie. Podiums for this year. Who do you think is going to be on the podium? Surprise, surprise. I think Scott McLaughlin's a, a pretty good chance. <laughs> so there's no brain surgery into that one. I, I'm, I'm liking the sound of Cam Waters. I think he's talking a big game. So I think we're going to see something from him over the weekend that, that'll get him up there. So it'll be him or, or one of those Tickford cars, but I'm thinking that it's going to be Cam Waters. And then I think it's going to be Anton Di Pasquale in the, um, in the other Erebus car. So I think the Erebus cars have shown good speed there. And I think Anton's developing so well as a race driver that he's now in that contention zone. And as we know, Dave Reynolds is going to be a father, so he's slowing down. <laughs> <laughs> so your podium is? Um, McLaughlin, Waters and Di Pasquale. Well, my podium is McLaughlin, SVG and Courtney for third. There's magic there, I reckon. Well, if he keeps improving the way he's improved so far in the Mustang, I mean, he'll be dominating like McLaughlin soon. Well, I was almost going to go Di Pasquale, but no, I went Courtney. So that's my three. Excellent. Okay, Clarky. Well, that's the end of our little uh, bit of a chat. But for our listeners, uh, coming up, we've got Jack LeBrock, and he's going to talk us a bit about, well, what it's like in the COVID situation and what he expects from the Hidden Valley Darwin round. Well, on the line, we have Jack LeBrock. Welcome, Jack. We all want to know, tell us about that first win. Yeah, thanks for having us, guys. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. It's something you always dream about uh, growing up. And I suppose yeah, when you finally actually get the chance to race in the main game, the next step is, I suppose, to taking your race win. And for me, it's their childhood dream to actually get the opportunity to race there. But to um, thank uh, the guys were saying it was 79th winner now to go down the records book for the, for the categories. Yeah, it's awesome. Everyone's uh, pretty stoked. Team are over the moon, and yeah, it's pretty special for for all my family and, and sponsors and everyone else who's helped us get us get us to this point. Yeah, over the moon. So you're only four races into your Tickford career or your Tickford main game career. Has this win come a little earlier than you expected? And do you feel like it's shifting pressures and priorities a little bit? Uh, yeah, look, it is very early on, and for myself, and I know in the way I'm driving the car and what I'm getting out of it, I know. I've got a lot more to give. I think I'm still understanding the car and, and have a lot to, to work out in terms of the way I need to set the car up and the information I need to give back to, to Brad in particular to um, help get the, the most out of the chassis. So, um, yeah, it's it's awesome. Definitely going to take it. But for us, I think it's, it's we're still going to press it down the same path. We're going to have solid top 10 throughout the year. I'll be pretty happy. Yeah, look, if we get out there and have another ripper race and snag another podium or a win, no, I'm definitely not going to say no to it either. So last year didn't look like a lot of fun for you, but when the Tickford deal came up, it must have just been like jumping up and down in the air and fist pumping and all that sort of stuff. And did it take you long to think about it? Yeah, no, no, not at all. Or um, 
yeah, we're, we're dead keen straight away. And uh, especially after last year, we didn't really know where we're going to end up, whether we're still going to be racing or not. So, yeah, when you're given a lifeline like that from a team as big as and successful as what Tickford is, uh, yeah, you grab it with both hands and, and make the most of it. Yeah, that was a big turning point, I think, for, for us last year. And, yeah, loving every moment of it. Yeah, now you had a previous relationship with Tickford when you were with the Super 2 operation. Did that play a significant part in sort of getting back there? And what do you see as different now to when you were there in the Super 2 days? Uh, yeah, I think it definitely helps. I've had that relationship since 2016 and um, all the guys there, they're great dudes and oh, girls and guys. So I'm um, always saying g'day and stop for a chat. It's good having that relationship. We sort of already knew each other. And I think for, for myself, Tim and Rod knew. So I suppose deep down that I probably I could do the job. And I think that's partly why they gave me the opportunity to, to try and prove myself. So, yeah, I can't thank those guys enough for uh, giving us a chance to do it. But, yeah, look, there's just a lot of familiar faces there as well, all the way through mechanics, the engineers and stuff like that. So it almost feels like we're coming home. Jack, I wanted to ask, with those final laps uh, of the race that you won, and it was a lot going on behind you and you were keeping those guys at bay, and then you finally got a bit of a gap, how on the edge was that? Yeah, it was. Um, we were actually really struggling. From about five laps to go, I knew I was in a little bit of trouble just with the, the rear tyres in particular. It was sort of managing okay, but, yeah, we just started that. Those last five laps really fell away, and... Look, I was hanging on. I didn't know whether we were going to make it through just with, with how quickly the drop-off was in that, those last few laps. But um, I think for myself, I could see that Andre was struggling as well in certain areas. So I just had to drive to our strengths and make the most of that. But it was sort of, I think it was that second last lap, I had a big wobble in the middle of turn two because I felt like <laughs> we're driving on ice. So, um, yeah, she was pretty tough. But then, yeah, when, when Toddy got there and started dicing with those boys, with Reynolds and, and Andre, sort of had that little bit of a gap for the last half of the lap. And, yeah, it was it was pretty cool. I actually enjoyed the last, I suppose, five or six corners without sliding around too much. And, yeah, it's had to make sure we kept on the black stuff. So you're in the race. It's all panning out. What point in the race did you know, hang on, I'm really on to, to, to get on the podium or more than that? When did you realise I'm on for a win here? Uh, yeah, I thought I knew we were in a good position about a few laps in when we cleared those guys. I can see Andre sort of was about four seconds up the road or five seconds up the road. And but you know what? We might be on for a, for a podium here, which would have been, would have been pretty cool. And um, I felt like the car was, was quite good and we had a quite strong package and it was looking after its tyres well for that first part of the stint. So, um, and then, then Brad, uh, I suppose, sprung the surprise on everyone else and I suppose where the strategy came into it and he caught the, the other guys out a little bit. Yeah, I think that the strategy and the, and the guys in the pit stop absolutely nailed it and I think that's probably gave us a, a massive opportunity and really, I suppose, won us the race because they, um, they found us that time and got us to the lead and, yeah, we just had to hang on from there. How early on did you plan the tyre strategy for the weekend or for Sunday? Yeah, we sort of we were always going to ride off Saturday. We knew we were going to run hard, hard, save our softs for the Sunday. But from there, we didn't really know how we were going to run it through the two races. We're going to sort of play the start of race two and see how we were travelling. But we'll sort of run off the road, off the start lines. We dropped four or five spots like that. We thought, but you know what, we'll just, just save it, bank the tyres and have a crack in the last race. And it worked out, so uh, we'll take that. <laughs> so as a race driver, though, how hard is it to sit there and say, you know, I've almost got to throw away this race because of circumstances? I mean, clearly you've all got you know, white line fever and you want to race. How hard is it to keep the discipline to just accept what's going on around you? 
Yeah, it is tough. It, it's a weird way to go racing, I suppose. But it's yeah, it could be the way that our sport's going in the future of it, and uh, everyone's got to everyone starts with the same set of tyres at the start of the weekend. So it's just a massive strategy game now, I think. And look, we we ended up sixth for the weekend, total on points, which we were pretty happy with. It's a good step forward for us. But yeah, I think it's just making the teams think about it a lot more. The drivers think about how they're going to use their tyres in the best way possible. And yeah, if you're playing the championship game. Yeah, it's just a massive deal into how you're going to split those ties up and really try and make the most out of those uh, that points haul. I suppose the beauty is that it all worked out in the end, didn't it? I mean, the, the win must have been just something you hadn't expected, but uh, it was just a bit pure bonus for your Saturday night's pain. Come on, every driver gets out there and expects to win. Otherwise, I don't want them out there racing. <laughs> yeah, that's right. you got to go out there to win, don't you? So, um, no, I knew we were in for a good shot at having a good result in the last race, but... Even for myself, the race win was above expectations. It's pretty special. Yep. We'll take it. If we, yeah. <laughs> so if we turn our attention now to, to the coming two weekends, so we're previewing both weekends in this podcast. Cam Waters has come out and said that he thinks the Mustang is better suited to Darwin. Sorry, the Tickford Mustang is better suited to Darwin than it was at Sydney Motorsport Park. So clearly you're going to win all three races. <laughs> yeah, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? We'll just go out there and uh, carve them up. Doesn't matter what tyres we got. Yeah, it's an interesting one. Actually, I haven't actually driven the cars uh, or before this year, so I didn't really know what to expect. Yeah, going off what Cam said, it's sort of always been a little bit of a struggle for, for the Tickford cars at SMP. And the guys at Darwin last year, all four Tickford cars are really, really strong. Yeah, it's positive. And uh, I think we've got a good package at the moment. I think Cam I think, made a good step forward in terms of their car speed overall at SMP. So hopefully we can take some of those improvements into, into Darwin. Now, a significant difference between Sydney Motorsport Park and Hidden Valley is the level of tyre degradation or tyre degas you all want to talk about it. I mean, you could run the whole race on a set of softs up there. So tyres and strategy is not going to play as much of a game this time around, is it? Yeah, it's going to be very different to SMP. I'm quite happy we don't ever have to see or don't have to see that surface for at least another um, potentially 12 months at SMP with how much deg you get there because, um, yeah, driving on ice skates isn't too fun. But that one's going to be very different. It's going to be interesting to see how everyone plays it. With the heat, it's going to be the biggest biggest factor in it to see how the tyres react differently between the soft and the hard and whether the hard has a higher operating window. So, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting. I'm looking forward to seeing how it all plays out. So talk about the Hidden Valley track now. So the key to it, I mean, it's obviously got one of the longest straights anywhere we go. And so clearly you're going to want to get a good exit from turn 14, aren't you, to, uh, to blast down the straight? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that, um, that straight, I think it's what, like a, a K long or something. It's probably one of the longest ones we go to. So uh, very crucial to get a good run out of there. But um, it's one of those tracks you need a bit of everything. You, you can't have a perfect car there, I don't think. Yeah, for the guys or for the, for the engineers, I'm sure they're going to be sick of us complaining about something rather over the weekend, but it'd be pretty cool. It's one of my favourite tracks, so I'm looking forward to getting back there. And it's got really complexities, hasn't it? I mean, you've got a couple of really slow corners, like the, I call it the double apex hairpin coming off the end of the straight, followed by the hairpin in the valley. I mean, they're down to 100, 110 kilometres per hour type of thing. So you're dropping 170 k's off the car under brakes there. It's a, it's a big job for the uh, for the stoppers. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's interesting. Like you push into the pedal there a long way because it's quite a flat surface. It's quite wide and you can maximise the braking there. So I'd hate to be a front rider at the end of that straight there because they'd be feeling it. But uh, it's good. It creates good racing. And with such a long straight there, if you can get a good run out of the last corner, a little bit of a toe, um, it's always a good passing opportunity. Yeah, she's, she's a tough one to get right there at the end of the straight because it doesn't take much to have a little lock up and then you're firing off into the grass and making a meal of it. So it, it's a pretty cool... Pretty cool part of the section, uh, track down there. 
Yeah, but before you even get to that full speed blast, it's that uh, beautiful little run from the start line to the first corner where we often see cars three, four and five wide. I mean, uh, some real gains can be made, but also some big losses. Yeah, definitely. And I think that's even with the race start as well. Like you always see that many cars going, yeah, three, four wide down the turn one because you got, I think it's like 600 metre run from, from the start line. So, uh, yeah, going to make sure I sort out, sort out how to use a clutch by then because it yeah, might be in a bit of trouble if we can't. <laughs> It'll help. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, now, the little complex from from turn two through to the turn five braking, I mean, it seems to be constant turning. Um, we've seen some pretty big shunts there. I mean, Lee Holdsworth, your teammate in particular, uh, got quite physically hurt in one of his crashes. I mean, it's a pretty important part, especially to get the car settled when you're coming off turn four for that braking zone to five, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's a really cool part of the circuit. Like even you, it's one of those sections you fire through there for the first time, and you're like, "Holy shit!" Like this is actually fast between the walls here, and it's good though. Like it makes you work. And again, even down to turn four, there it's a big braking zone. So yeah, and then up to that hairpin through, through the middle section there, it's quite tight. So it's one of those things again. It's another aspect that's quite different to the rest of the circuit. You got to drop it right down the first gear and try and get the thing rotated. Yeah, and also it creates good passing. It's um, it's actually quite a cool track to race on. Yeah, I'm looking forward to, to seeing how that the tyres mix that up as well. So both the corner coming into the valley and the hairpin are overtaking spots, aren't they? I mean, you, you can get somebody nervous enough to um, to slide a little wide in the first part, but you can also you know do switchbacks and crossovers and all sorts of things to get into the hairpin. So great spot. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It, it creates good racing. I think even um, like you can hang around the outside there at, at turn four. I think it is, and someone goes down the inside, you can hang up on the outside and hold it into that next hairpin. From that point, like it's good side-by-side action. And if you're, you're racing someone who gives you plenty of room, you can have some good battles throughout the race. And then once you leave the valley, I mean, that combination of corners coming up to the last one, I mean, they're just stunning, especially if you're sitting up under the trees having a beer watching. It's a, it's a great spot to watch motor racing. Yeah, definitely. Fast right-hander, that first one after you enter or leave the, leave the hairpins actually... Uh, doesn't look that difficult, but it is probably one of the hardest corners, I reckon, on that track. It, you, you have a little bit of a break in there. It's very easy to overslow it and break at the wrong spot. Then you, you're all out of sync and you get a big dose of understeer coming out the other side of it. It's always uh, a painful one to get right, especially in qualifying when you're trying to get the most out of it. But um, yeah, it does get much better than that next double left over the back. It's yeah, fourth gear down to third. You're carrying some good speed. And yeah, just hope the engineers are dialed enough turn into it so you don't get any understeer and you're, um, you're on your way. And then, of course, you got the next most dangerous part of the track, the pit entry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, right. that's it. That's one of the worst parts. You never know half the time when people are going to be peeling off. You're um, just getting ready for them to, to dart in. But, yeah, I'm surprised you haven't seen more big shunts there. It's a bit of a, bit of a dangerous one. <laughs> yeah, we've seen a couple. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because where you're sitting in the car and everything, it's not like you can even see where, where somebody's looking. Um, so you've just got to rely on the fact that they might put an indicator on or that uh, or that you've sussed their slowing a fraction. But uh, it's a hairy stuff, that one. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Because yeah, I think uh, from memory, you actually start breaking from actually being on the racing line. So, um, yeah, I know, know a few of the guys, you try and get the indicator on. If you can't, you just yeah, get on the brakes a few times and throw throw a few warning flags out there to say you're, um, you're pulling off stage right. It's, uh, yeah, fingers crossed we don't see any shunts there. But even during the racing, you always see, um, I think it was last year, old Frosty came together with someone out of the last corner. It just seems to provide plenty of action, this joint. Looking forward to it. Yeah, it is a great, it's a great racetrack. And for, for those who haven't been there, I mean, it's one of my favourite races to go to anywhere on the series. And uh, the Darwin people or the people up there, it's just a good, fun place to go. And uh, 
the weather's all right, there's crocodiles and you can go do some deep sea fishing. Um, are you allowed to do any of that, by the way? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. We're children. Basically, I suppose we're just taking it by... Uh, by ear at the moment because we don't want to do anything wrong or step out of line but uh that'd be pretty nice to get out in the water and yeah especially up there at the moment 30 odd degrees during the day relatively low humidity it's a great place to be this time of year so i'm, I'm hanging out for it I, like you said earlier it's probably one of your favorites one of my favorites as well and yeah just hanging out to spend a spend a couple of race weekends there and yeah the great part is you've got those few days between the races so you don't even have to disappear fast so uh you know, make sure you enjoy it because Townsville could be a punishing one a few weeks later as well. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I know. It's, it's tough uh, being up the top end of Australia's time of year, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're going to be cast out of Victoria and sitting in isolation, it's certainly not a bad place to do it, is it? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, you're taking the sunshine while we can. We don't usually see it in the middle of winter down in Melbourne, so uh, we'll lap it up. All right, well, thanks for that, Jack. Uh, best of luck uh, in the next two races. And uh, we were pleased to see that first win and uh, hope there's quite a few more to come in the near future. Yeah, thanks very much, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, Jack. So that's it, folks. Hidden Valley, one of the great places we go racing in the year. One of the places that I'm really, really sad that I can't get to because of this COVID world order situation. But what can we expect? We know that the tyres aren't going to be what they were at Eastern Creek. We know that the tyres aren't going to affect the outcome the same way that they did in the past. But the beauty now is that the racing comes back into it. It's pure, absolute racecraft. So the soft tyres will probably last the whole race distance, but you're going to have to use hard tyres as well. So at some point in time, we're going to see differences on the track. The hard tyres, hell for leather. Nothing will stop you. Go really hard. You're still going to have to be gentle on the softs. So what I'm looking forward to this weekend is seeing the, the people playing around with tyre compounds and chasing them down and seeing what they can get to and what a great weekend we're looking forward to. Bring it on. Bring it on.